in some ways, there might be a lot of stability in your life, you know, the place you live, some of the relationships that you have. But if the last three years or so has taught us anything as a culture and a society is that you don't always know what's going to happen. So just everyone has their own version of this story, but for our family, January of 2020, we were here. We were visiting family in Arizona. We were living in Australia. We brought 10-month-old Francis, and we had family photos taken. We enjoyed, you know, dinner and social gatherings, um, enjoyed flying, and, well, maybe not enjoyed it, but we flew, we traveled, <laughs> and we had planned that when we returned to Australia on February 1st, 2020, we were preparing for just our album launch. We were putting out a small album of songs, and we were going to have this big community event to launch the album. We had planned like a first birthday party for Francis in March 2020. <laughs> so we were recharged. We were refreshed from family time. We got on the plane to return to Australia and the new year was looking so promising and so bright, right? We had a lot of plans. But what we didn't know is that every plan that we had made would be canceled indefinitely. Our album launch was never to be. <laughs> In some ways, praise God. Um, <laughs> so, you know, our little album came out and we didn't have any kind of event or we didn't release any press kits or anything like that. Um, Francis' first birthday was spent in strict isolation. So it was mom and dad and a loaf of banana bread <laughs> and some phone calls, some FaceTime. And that year, no one from our family in the, in the United States would be able to come and visit us. What did we know about 2020? At this point in that year, we couldn't have predicted any of that, right? So I'm not here to predict doom for 2023. I hope you don't... <laughs> Don't take that <laughs> away from today. That's not why I'm here. You know, we all have our own version of that story of, you know, where you were 2020 in January. But as I look to the new year, it just begs the question, what does this new year hold for me? What does it hold for us as a family? What does it hold for us as a church and a community? We just don't know. Now, how does that make you feel, that admission, I don't know? It's a bit humbling. Is it scary for you? Is it anxiety-inducing for you? Maybe it's exciting, like the unknown. It might hold adventure or blessings that we just can't imagine. Imagining all the possibilities for me can be really thrilling and energizing. Oh, what if this happens, like in a positive sense? But before we get carried away with what ifing, right, either in a positive, hopeful way or maybe in a negative, predicting doom kind of way, I just want to invite us to center and to be grounded in what we do know. Because it might change the way that you approach some of the unknowns going forward. So let's focus on what we do know. There's not a whole lot that we do know. <laughs> but let's, let's have a look at it because I think it will change the way we approach the unknown. 
So let's look back at our scripture. Um, Matthew 3, verse 16 says, After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens opened, so imagine that if you can. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Wow. That didn't happen at my baptism. <laughs> Maybe not for any of you guys. So what was going on here, right? I mean, we know that Jesus is God. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? He is God. A few things were happening here at Jesus' baptism. God was affirming Jesus' identity as his beloved son. So identity is very important. It's foundational. It's key to who we are. Identity is very important to God. That's why he speaks identity over Jesus at this point. I've even read that we get our sense of identity from our father and our sense of self-worth from our mother in those relationships. So you can unpack that one later. <laughs> but God the Father, as a father, affirms Jesus' identity as beloved son. Jesus is God's son. What does that mean? Well, it means that all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth through all time and eternity has been given to him, right? He is the keeper of the keys. He is the heir to the throne. He has, reigns over it all. He has the VIP pass, if you will. So God is affirming this identity for Jesus because he needs him to be very confident in this. Why does he need Jesus to be very confident of his identity? Well, the religious leaders at the time spend Jesus' entire ministry trying to discredit Jesus' claim that he is who God says he is, that he is God's son. So God is confirming that Jesus is his son in the presence of anyone who was there being baptized that day. And we read earlier in the scripture that some of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had come really with impure hearts to be baptized by John, but th they were present. There would have been religious leaders present at Jesus' baptism. And so here's God declaring before, you know, pe regular people, but also religious teachers, this is my son. I'm going to crack the heavens open, send my spirit down, and you're going to hear my voice audibly. Could it become any clearer for them? Right? There was no, um, <laughs> no media at that point, so there was no other way to kind of blast the information out. He literally <laughs> opened the heavens to let people know, this guy's going to say that he's my son, and he's right. But regardless of this, the religious leaders spend all of Jesus' ministry trying to discredit this claim. So they tried to kill him multiple times. They tried to, um, to catch him and ask him questions that would trick him. And then in the end, the claim that he was God's son is ultimately what they crucified him for, saying, that's blasphemy. A third thing's happening. There's a third reason why God is proclaiming this identity over Jesus, and it's because Jesus is preparing to carry out his earthly ministry. 
So this is the crazy part to me is that Jesus' baptism happens before he has really done any public teaching. So when God says, this is my dearly loved son, he brings me great joy, that's before Jesus has done anything to earn that. God just says that about him. He hasn't done any preaching, teaching, healing, no miracles yet. He hadn't earned that. God just said that about him, regardless of any effort he had put in at that point. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't saved humanity yet. He just was. But still, God the Father, before his ministry, before the work begins, God says, you are my beloved. So let that sink in a moment. Baptism is something that happens to us. So when you were baptized, if you've been baptized, that was God's action, claiming you, calling you beloved. You couldn't earn it if you tried. And so it's important that this happened before Jesus' earthly ministry because it really sends the message, you can't earn your way into this family. God claims you just because of his grace, just because he's that good. So this is why in our tradition, we choose to baptize infants. Because an infant can't give tithes or offerings or confess their sins or even say, I want to be yours, God. They can't do that. But God claims them. It's just fine to God that babies can't do anything to earn their baptism, to earn their way in. I think he actually prefers it that way right? It's all his work. God welcomes you in without requiring anything on your part, without requiring any qualification. So praise God for that. But after his baptism, Matthew's gospel says that Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted. Matthew 4, you might have read it. And so God knew that Jesus was going to need to really stand firm in his identity before he's propelled out into the wilderness and he's going to have to withstand this testing. So baptism, being reminded of our identity in Christ daily, it prepares us to encounter the world and all of the troubles that we face. Just like Jesus' baptism prepared him to go out and face the temptation of the devil. So in the Lutheran faith, we have two sacraments. Can anyone tell me what they are? And communion, baptism and communion are our two sacraments. So both of these prepare and equip us to face trial and temptation. The spiritual is made tangible. It's made real for us in simple things like water, bread, and wine. God's presence comes to dwell within us in ordinary means so that we have something to touch and taste and feel to hold on to when we're tempted to believe anything but God's truth. So God's word and the sacraments are what we can point back to to prove that we know that we know that we know that the Holy Spirit is in us and accompanies us every day. How do you know that you're saved? How do you know? Are you baptized? Yes. 
if you're not, please come talk to Pastor Steve because it would be his absolute joy to baptize you. I can just speak for you <laughs> on that. It would be his joy to baptize you, whether you're a baby or a grown-up or anyone in between. How do you know that you're forgiven? How do you know that your sins are forgiven? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So the sacraments, these rituals, these things we do, they're not deal breakers. Faith is the most important gift that God gives us, but they give us something to point back to, to say, I know because I know what happened at my baptism, right? God knows that as humans, we need something to hold on to, some kind of an instance to refer to. You can't faith faith, right? I believe that I believe that I believe that it has to, the circular thinking has to come back to a moment or something that we can really reference in a concrete way. And so God gave us these gifts of baptism and communion. We need God to spell it out plainly for us, amen? <laughs> so God puts a solid stop on our abstract circular thinking. We can't get, like, Cartesian about it, right? We can't just, oh, I, I, I know that I think that I have faith that I have faith. <laughs> what do you know? What can you reference? God calls us to have childlike faith, and he gives us simple elements like water, bread, wine, his word, to make the spiritual real so we can grasp it. Here's the problem. One of the devil's favorite questions is, are you sure? Are you sure about that? In Genesis 3, when the serpent tempts Eve, he says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Are you sure, Eve? When Satan is tempting Jesus, he says, If you are the Son of God, are you sure of who you are? So Jesus' baptism that assurance of his identity as beloved son gave him something to point back to. Jesus stands firm in the identity spoken over him at his baptism. He utilizes the armor of God, particularly the belt of truth, which helps him to stand firm, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So everything that Satan came at him with, Jesus responds with a scripture, right? So in your life, it might sound something like this. Are you sure you're worth anything? Are you sure you belong here? Are you sure they're going to overlook that one? Are you sure God is good? Are you sure? Are you sure, Easton? <laughs> That's one of Satan's favorite questions, because if he can dismantle the belief that God is good in your heart, well, then he's got an open door to shake everything else that's built on that foundation. 
if he can lead you to question your identity as God's, well, then he can shake anything else that's built on that foundation. So what do we do? Well, like our shepherd Jesus, we have to stand firm in the identity that God spoke over us at our baptism. We can respond confidently. I am a child of a good and powerful God. I belong to his family and in his house. And I am forgiven forever. Full stop, period. That's it. I'm sure. So that's what you know in 2023. And I can't really promise you much else aside from that. But if we face the new year confident in our identity in Christ, we can face whatever is going to happen next, be it temptation in the wilderness or a season of abundance and blessing. If we keep coming back to the one thing we know, that God is good and I am his, the rest of it is, is small, right? So keep coming back to the only thing you know. Remember your baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, we'll make it happen. We would love to make it happen. Be strengthened and empowered and equipped by communion. That's why we do it every week here, so that you can go out renewed, refreshed with his presence, with his body and blood. So you can leave this place knowing that you're forgiven and you're his. So that's what you know in 2023. <laughs> Amen.